accusers. It was there that Jesus was arrested. It was there that Judas came to him and kissed him on the face. Remember that? It was there that the soldiers came and took him away to be judged. It's there. We read in Acts chapter 1. It was there that Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection. And listen to what it says in Acts 1.11. It says, Men of Galilee, the angel said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back, listen to this, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It was here. After the resurrection, Jesus gathered them together after spending a little time with them. And it was there that he literally ascended into heaven. And the disciples, not understanding what's going on, they're thinking, well, this is cool. Jesus is going up into heaven and they're standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. And then suddenly the angels appear and say, why are you standing here waiting? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? In the same way you have seen him go into heaven, so he'll return. Jesus ascended into heaven from this place, and the Bible tells us that it's at this place that Jesus will return. And here's what it says. This is the, this is the, the prophecy in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 4 to 9. Let's take a look at that. And it says, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountains moving north and half moving south. And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. And on that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. It's to the Mount of Olives, my friends, that Jesus will return, just as the angels told the disciples and just as Zechariah promised. Now here's the thing. If you go back to the roots of our movement, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, you will discover that, that there were four cardinal teachings or four main teachings of the PAOC. And one of those teachings, my friends, was the teaching about the return of Christ. It was a theme heard again and again and again. People were looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, remember, this happened at the early part of the 1900s, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, about 1907. And, of course, they prophesied and they said that it would be in this generation that Israel would become a nation. Everybody laughed at them, especially the... Uh, don't take offense to this, you just laugh along at this, especially the snooty uh, Presbyterians and the Anglicans and, and even some of the Baptists. There's no way on earth that Israel would become a nation. Of course, we know that happened, didn't, didn't, don't we? We know that happened in the late 1940s. Israel became a nation. And this was an absolute shock to the world that there was a brand new Israeli nation-state. Unbelievable. Hadn't happened for almost 2,000 years, and Israel now had become a nation just 
as the prophets said it would happen. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, one of the things we, we read in the scripture is that Jesus said that he would return when the fig leaf sprouted. Well, this Israel is that fig leaf that sprouted. And Jesus said that's when he would return during the life of, during the time of that generation. Now, it's to this place, to the Mount of Olives, that Jesus is going to return. And the Bible says that the Lord will be king, Jesus will be king over the whole earth, and on that day there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Why do we talk about the return of Christ? Well, in, in just two words, it's, it's our hope. It's a thing that we look forward to. It's a thing that gives us joy. It's a thing that brings us comfort. It's the thing that keeps us on track. I remember uh, sitting in the old Calvary Temple. Anybody ever go to the old Calvary Temple, the old building? Today, all that's left standing is the, is the spire. But there actually was a building, an old building built around that at one time. And I attended church as a boy there. Uh, my grandparents would bring us to church. And I could still remember those sermons about the last days, about the second coming of Christ. I still remember, I don't remember a lot of the sermons Pastor Barber preached, but those ones I really remembered. And he would, he would say to, to us, as he would, with his finger outstretched, if anybody remembers Pastor Barber, with his finger outstretched, he'd say, if Jesus were to return today, would you be ready? Now you're shaking, aren't you? <laughs> and he pointed right at me. And I just felt a cold rush go down my, my back and my legs turned to jelly. And I thought, I don't know. I really don't know if I'd be ready. And it was at that point that God began to do a work in my life. So that the first chance I could get, when someone would ask me, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? Would you like to be ready in case Christ returns? I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah, pick me. I, I want to make sure that I'm ready for Christ's return. Now understand something, my friends. You need to be ready for when Christ returns. And it is because the POC, the Pentecostal movement, was, let's just call it the Pentecostal movement because it's not just in Canada, it's around the world. Because of the preaching about the coming of Christ and being ready for his return, it sparked something in people's hearts. It sparked a realization, my friends, that this world is not the sum total of our lives. This is not all that there is to this life. Do you understand what I'm saying today? How many know that there is a life to come? And are you ready for it? That's what the second coming message is really all about. It's, it's our hope. One of my very, very favorite movies is The Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody ever see that movie? And uh, you come to the end of the movie. The first half is fantastic. It's fun. It's exciting. But then persecution sets in for this little village, Anatevka. And, and uh, the people are suddenly being evicted from the town that generations and generations of their forefathers had occupied, and now they're being evicted. The Tsar of Russia is, is attacking the Jews in the great pogroms. You've heard of them. And uh, there they are in, that, in the final scene. And they're all packed up. 
They're all sort of lined up, and they've got this, this mournful music in the background. It's the snow falling. And one of the young men turns to the rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, wouldn't this be a good time for the coming of the Messiah? Wouldn't this be a good time? It's so dreary. It's so terrible. It's so sad. It's so hopeless. Wouldn't this be a good time? Now, I want you to recognize something this morning, my friends. Life is hard. And the thing that brings hope to the heart that is hopeless, the heart that is sad, the heart that is overwhelmed by the pressures, the stresses, the cares, the hurts, the heartaches of life, is that this world as we know it is not going to go on like this forever. And someone said, Amen. This world as it is is not going to go on like this forever. Jesus is coming again. Even, even the, the Jews believe that. Even the Christians believe that. Even the Muslims believe that. Did you know that? Everyone is looking for a Messiah. Someone to save us. Someone to set us free. Someone to deliver us from this world as it is. Would everybody agree with me today that this world's in pretty bad shape? But it's not just this world that's in pretty bad shape. Maybe you're in bad shape today. I'm not attacking. I'm not making fun of you or putting you down. I'm just talking about the reality of your heart today. You're sitting there today and you say, Pastor, if you only knew what I've experienced in my life, if you only knew the heartache and the pain that I've experienced. Well, you know what? I know some of the pain that many of you have experienced and endured. But I'll tell you somebody who knows it better than even you do, and that's Jesus. And he's coming, he's coming someday to take you home if you put your faith in him. He's coming to take you away, to deliver you from the pain and the suffering that you've endured or are enduring today. Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, Pastor, I have failed God. I have sinned. I have fallen short. And Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm too ashamed even to go into prayer. I'm too ashamed even to, to come into the presence of God. And I, I find myself failing and falling again and again. I do wrong, and I come before God, and I ask Him to forgive me, and I'm doing well, and three months later, it happens again. And I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm so tired. I'm tired of the effects of sin in my life. I want you to know today, Jesus knows all about it, and He loves you, and He wants you to come to Him and be delivered and be set free. He wants you to come to him and find relief from your broken, sinful hearts because he loves you. And the good news is, is this is not going to go on forever. He's coming again. This is your hope. You look around you today. Last night, before I went to bed, Gloria turned on the news. And... Um, just turned it on, and immediately we hear the news that there was a home invasion in East Kildonan. Anybody hear about that? Home invasion. The three or four guys broke in. 
with guns, broke into somebody's home, into their place of refuge, into their safe place, into their place where the doors are locked, broke in. And this is happening more and more. On Friday night, someone actually walked right into our garage while we were in the house, walked right into our garage and took Nicholas's bike right off the wall. It was hanging up. It's hard for me to put that stupid thing on the, on the hooks, but somebody walked in there and got the thing off the hook and took off, rifled through my vehicle, and, uh, and were good enough to leave behind their old bike. <laughs> And I felt so angry and so violated. That's a small thing compared to what some of you have experienced. Turn on the CNN. Have you noticed that almost every evening on the CNN around 7 o'clock, Nancy Grace is talking about some mother who has killed her children? Have you noticed that? It's like almost every night. What on earth is happening to this world? And there's no justice anymore. People who are murdered, people who are raped, there's no justice. My friends, this world as it is, is not going to go on like this forever. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Now there's something very significant that's happened this past week. You heard about the peace talks taking place in Israel? This is Extremely significant because this is prophesied in these last days. And the Bible says that, that Israel will have set up in the temple the abomination that causes desolation. There's, we don't know exactly the, the details surrounding that, but we do know this, is that Israel will seem to be open or will be open to what looks like a peaceful solution to the Middle East. How many know today that I don't care how often Hillary Clinton goes to the Middle East, she's not going to solve the problem. Everybody's sure of that? And it's not that I'm against women or anything like that, but she ain't going to do it. No more than Jimmy Carter could do it. There's only one who's going to bring peace to the Middle East, and his name is Jesus. The Lord will be king over the whole earth, and on that day there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. His name is Jesus. Zechariah prophesied this, my friends. The day is coming. And I don't care how brilliant Barack Obama thinks he is. I don't care how brilliant Jimmy Carter or even George Bush. There is only one who's going to bring peace to the Middle East, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. But there is such a desperation for peace. There's such a desperation. But there is only one who can bring peace. And his name is the Prince of Peace. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. But my friends, it's not just what's happening in your heart, and it's not just what's happening in our, in our culture, in our society. Even the creation... Last night we went to see IMAX. If you've never been to see the whales and dolphins, I'm giving you permission to go, go to a theater. But it's not really a theater, it's called IMAX. <laughs> we saw, I had, it was like a religious experience, I have to tell you. 
In 3D, we watched this footage of these whales. And uh, they had this footage of, of the eye of the whale. They, they got that close to the whale that you could actually, I mean, I told everybody I was going to have nightmares of these whales' eyes looking at me. It was spectacular. These massive whales, the blue whale, it was uh, 108 feet in length. It's almost the length of this building. 200, weighing 200 tons. <laughs> 200 tons. And it's the largest, the blue whale is the largest animal ever known to have existed. Eats, guess how much it eats? 8,000 pounds of krill every day. Just a little bit more than what I eat. <laughs> 8,000 pounds of krill. Krill are like little, like little shrimp. And guess what? These krill breed under the ice of the Arctic. But guess what? The Arctic ice is now melting and threatening the extinction of the blue whales. They showed us whale after whale after whale that's facing extinction, and very soon. Now, it's, it sounds corny. As I'm saying this, it sounds corny. As I'm thinking about it, it sounds kind of corny. But I have to tell you, watching those whales and the dolphins swimming and playing together, I mean, they play and they have, they have complex languages that they have between themselves. It's amazing. In fact, they're so, they're so complex that they, they actually call them tribes or societies. But they are under just I think the little man, the mantis in, in South Florida. There's only 3,000 left, and it's it. It's over. You'll never see that animal again on the face of the earth. Guess where they live? They live uh, around the, sh the warm shores of Florida. Anybody know what's threatening the warm shores of Florida? Yeah, oil. Man. You know what the Bible says in Romans 8? He says, the Bible says that even creation is groaning, waiting for the day when the creation will be delivered from the sinfulness of man. Who's the deliver, deliverer of the blue whale? Jesus. Jesus. We try so desperately to turn around, turn the tide, to rearrange our world, but there's only one solution, and it's Jesus. Does that mean we should be irresponsible and say, oh, I can do whatever I want because Jesus is going to fix it? And that's not what I'm saying at all, and that's why so many people who do not know Christ think we're a bunch of lunatics. Our job, according to the Scripture, is that we're supposed to be stewards, the caretakers of the creation, but we've wrecked it. It was God's idea that we take care of the creation. It's no, listen, it's no wonder, it's no wonder the world will be so ready for an antichrist. This world is right now just ripe, ready, waiting for someone to move in and give leadership to this broken, sinful world. Many people pin their hopes on Barack Obama. He got the Nobel Peace Prize before he did anything. It was just unbelievable. Never seen anything like that before. But people are so desperate for a Messiah, so desperate for someone 
to give leadership to this world. Even Barack Obama was a little bit embarrassed and tried to, tried to give an explanation. And I'm sure is feeling the horrible stress and pressure of the expectations of mankind. But I'm going to tell you today, there's only one. <laughs> there's only one who's going to bring hope and healing and leadership to this broken, broken mess, which we call planet Earth, and it's Jesus. Now, that's our hope. And you know, some of you are wondering, okay, well, when is this going to happen? When is Jesus going to come and going to get everything sorted out? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You did ask that question, didn't you? <laughs> well, here, here's what... The, the disciples asked Jesus that question on the Mount of Olives. When is this all going to happen, Jesus? And Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. Anybody remembers that? Now, have you ever noticed the phrase that Jesus uses here? And it's, it's in the scripture. This is, what, this is in the original scripture. It, Jesus says it in a very odd way. No man knows the day or the hour. Instead of saying nobody knows the time or nobody knows uh, the day. But Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour. Now, why would he say that? Especially if you read in Daniel, the book of Daniel, which is the, what, the great prophecy book in the Old Testament, where uh, Daniel and the Revelation counts out 1260, 1290, and 1335 days to, uh, to explain the next event in history. And of course that refers to the day of tribulation, the time when we leave this earth, the time when Jesus returns to this earth. Very clear, very specific time frame. Jesus says, no one knows what they are, they are, and yet Daniel and the Revelation seem to very, give, give very clear instructions. And then Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, says uh, this, the wise, so that the wise would understand. So Daniel's prophecies, including those very day counts in the same chapter, seem to indicate that those who have wisdom to understand these things would have a good idea when the end was to come. In Revelation 1.1, it says that it, the revelation was given to show God's servants what will come to pass. Does that mean everything except the timings given all over the place? Obviously, the Bible is clear about when Jesus is returning. And Jesus said, it's a, it, it, no one knows the day or the hour. Now, what, what does that mean? No man knows the day or the hour. And some of you may remember, I mentioned, I've referred to this in, in the past, but it, that term, no man knows the day or the hour, is in fact a Hebrew idiom that was specifically re referring to a single day, the day of trumpets. Now, the day of trumpets is a feast, a Jewish feast that celebrates Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. Jesus used that idiom while on the, on the Mount of Olives and teaching his disciples to explain to them when the end would come, when he would return. In Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, No man knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 
And then in verse 31, he says this, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. He's referring to that feast, the Feast of Trumpets. And in this case, Jesus is saying that the trumpet sounds this time will not be the Jewish priests at the temple. They will be the actual angels of heaven that blow the trumpets. You hear what I'm saying now? You're getting this, is it starting to click in now? Now why is it significant? Why is this day, the unknown day and hour, significant? I'll tell you why. Because in Jesus' day, the biblical calendar months were based strictly on the lunar cycle. This meant a month could be either 29 or 30 days, since the lunar cycle is 29 and a half days long. And so here's the thing. This month began on the evening that the first sliver of the new crescent moon became visible. Their system was to wait for two witnesses. Does two witnesses ring a bell, anybody? We can't get into it now, but you look that up. There's two witnesses that confirmed that they had seen the new moon before a new month could be declared on the 29th instead of the 30th day. You getting this? No one knows the day or the hour. Now, even with today's technology, we cannot predict with 100% accuracy at what day or hour the first day of the new biblical month of, of the original observation-based calendar begins. We don't know that for sure. And so we need the two witnesses to confirm that they've seen that new month. Therefore, out of all the feasts that the Jews celebrate, now I have to remind everybody that those Jewish feasts of the Old Testament were all shadows, were all symbolic of what was going to come when Jesus came. And I can't, I can't get into that this morning because time prevents that. But you look it up. Every one of those Jewish feasts is all all is a shadow of what will come when Christ comes. And so it is with this feast, the Feast of Trumpets, the celebration of Rosh Hashanah, the celebration of a brand new year. The celebration, listen to me, this is what happens during that celebration of the new year for the Jews. is It's a time of repentance and turning back to God. A time of Reflection and looking at how one is living their lives. And if li your life is not being lived right, it's a time to get your life cleaned up. It's a time of repentance, a time of confession of sin, a time to say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and work in me and change me. And so that holy day that falls on the very first day of the month is still called, this is it is, it's still called the Feast that no man knows the day and the hour of. The Jews call it that, my friends. The Jews call it that. And Jesus said that's when he would come, during that time, when no one knows the day or the hour. So you can see now that Jesus was not discouraging us from studying prophecy. He wasn't discouraging us from studying prophecy to know the dates, of events in advance at all. He was actually confirming that the day of the rapture would be, in fact, the Feast of Trumpets. And I told you I was going to share something very interesting with you, but before I do that, I want to show you a quick video clip, and then I'm going to share this, and then we're going to pray.
When is the Feast of Trumpets? Anybody know? When is Rosh Hashanah? It's uh, somewhere between September 8th. It's actually celebrated September 8th to 10th. That's this Wednesday to Friday. Folks, I may not see you next Sunday. You can come if you want to, but I, I won't be here if Jesus comes. Are you ready to see Christ? Are you ready to meet him? Is your heart ready? This could be it. This might be the last Sunday that we meet here. Jesus is calling you to be ready. I think of that scene again in Fiddler of the Roof. Rabbi, wouldn't this be a good time for the coming of the Messiah? I don't know about you, but I say yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Are you ready? Is your heart and life where it needs to be? Is there unconfessed sin in your heart? Is there unforgiveness? Are you angry or bitter towards somebody? Someone let you down? Maybe I let you down. You need to get that right. And you need to get that right today. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me right now. And the Spirit of God is at work here right at this very moment. And you are experiencing a tingling in your heart. Maybe you're, you feel like you've got butterflies in your stomach. I'm going to tell you that is the Holy Spirit at work in you at this very moment. And it's not to frighten you, but to let you know that he loves you and cares about you and is prompting you to respond to Christ, to be ready. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that Christ will return for sure this Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. I don't know for sure. But I do know that Jesus said that he would return and no man knows the day or hour. It could be. It may not be. But are you ready? I'm going to pray right now, and if this prayer resonates with you, if it's if it's your prayer, then say, Lord, this is my prayer this morning. You just say that quietly in your heart. Father, this morning we want to make sure that we are ready to see Christ. And the beautiful thing about this is that this is not, this is not fear-driven. This is not um, based on, on hellfire and damnation. It's it's your great love and care and concern that we be ready to see Christ, that you come to us this morning and you speak to us and remind us
that Jesus is coming again. And so this morning, Lord, some of us here need to get our hearts ready to meet you. And this morning, God, we're saying, Lord, forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Give us your spirit to enable us to walk with you and to live pure. Father, we repent and ask you to forgive us of our sins. We pray that you would cleanse us, wash us clean of all unrighteousness. Give us a pure heart, we pray. We want to have the righteousness of Christ that we talked about last week that came through Calvary. Now, Lord, we're looking forward to your return when you come to this earth and make all things right, when you heal this broken world, when you heal this broken heart, when you heal all that is wrong with this world as we know it. This is our hope. This is our great hope. Would you stand with me, please? This morning, if, if you're not sure whether or not you're ready to see Christ, I'm a pastor, and you can talk to me about this. This is, this is what I'm good at. I'm good at showing you the way. Come talk to me. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. Oh, there's no shame, no embarrassment, my friends. Just great joy that your heart and life is ready. You see, I'm going to stand before Jesus when he comes, and I have to give an account for you. I've got to tell, I've got to give an account for the sheep that God has put in my care. I'm responsible for you. So I need you to talk to me if you need help, if you want to make sure that your heart is ready, if you want to make sure that you're ready to see Jesus, you talk to me. Phone me, email me, make an appointment, come talk to me right after the service if you want.